What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a new episode of Chargers Weekly, off-season edition. Whether you're listening on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I appreciate you guys being here. We're going to have a draft analyst on uh, every Thursday leading up to the 2021 NFL Draft. Here with me now, friend of the pod, Luke Easterling. I think we've done this like three years in a, in a row, Luke. Luke, uh, NFL Draft Wire, USA Today, Bucks Wire. It's been a busy few weeks for you, my friend. It has, Chris, man. It's uh, it's good to be with you again. And uh, yeah, uh, what, a, what a run, right? We've got, uh, you know, going back to, to Tom Brady in March and uh, things got busy there for a little while. And uh, obviously the regular season was quite a roller coaster, but man, what a, what a playoff run to, uh, to be able to cover, obviously a very strange season. So nobody really covered it like we normally do, but uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was surreal, man, especially the fact that it happened here in Tampa at Raymond James stadium. I, I, I tweeted a few days ago that like at least once a day, I just laugh. I just laugh uncontrollably because it doesn't make sense. None of it, <laughs> none of it still like, it doesn't, it doesn't hit man. It doesn't land. It was, it was a wild ride. And uh it was. It was pretty busy, but man, that, like, like I said to you off the air, that's why we do this is is to be able to to have a chance to to cover something like that. And it was it was a wild ride. I loved it. No question, man. The team was seven and five, hits the bye, doesn't lose, wins the Super Bowl, Tampa. The boat party was wild. Were you were you anywhere near that? No. Okay. No, I was I was happily at home, uh, watching and laughing with my children at uh, at all of the. Uh, interesting events that took place out on the Hillsborough river. It was a safe distance away and enjoyed it safely from my desk. <laughs> there you go. Well, Hey man, we have a lot of draft stuff to, to get to, but I, I want to just kick off things. Uh, unfortunately on a somber note, um, the, the NFL family lost Vincent Jackson um, sudden loss and it directly affects the chargers and the bucks who you covered. And I know you covered Vincent uh, if you want, just I'd love to get your thoughts on just who Vincent was, the man. I know the impact that he made on, on that Tampa community. Uh, yeah, man. And, and you know, I, I wrote about this immediately after the news because obviously it's, you know, Vincent's a couple years older than I am, man. Uh, it's and we're seeing it all too often, you know, in 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 general in life and in the in the media ranks. We've had so many people that we've yeah. lost. Um, it just it's it gets tiring, right? It gets, you know, it's, it's so upsetting to continue to see people struggling and to continue to, to deal with loss like this. But in terms of Vincent, as a, as a person, as a player, I go back to when he, when he signed with Tampa Bay, um, you know, he, he signed a really big deal in free agency. This was not really a team that was used to making those kinds of moves, right? They, they were, you know, in free agency in particular, were particularly, you know, not willing to be big spenders and they spent a lot of money that off season. And, and Vincent was really the crown jewel of that free agent class. Right. And, you know, we, there are far more free agent busts than there are guys that live up to those big contracts. Right. right. And, and Vincent was the the rare exception. You know, he signed, I think a five-year $55 million deal. And this is back in, I think 2012. Right. So that's, you know, that's still a pretty big deal for a wide receiver back then. Um, and he was as advertised, man, he came in right away and, and, he only played here for five seasons, but he's number four on the team's all-time receiving yards list mm. um, after five seasons. So, you know, on the field as a player, he lived up to that contract and he lived up to that expectation, which again is, is really, really rare uh, for, for free agents once they get to that big payday. And then I'll take it into the locker room as, as a leader, as a, as a, a, a veteran presence in that locker room, 
I think about the fact that in 2014, after Vincent had been here for a couple of years, um, you know, the Bucks drafted Mike Evans. He at number seven overall, he was Jason Light's first draft pick. Um, and here comes a big 6'5", 230 pound, you know, athletic pass catcher um, joining a locker room that already had a guy in Vincent who had a very similar skill set but had that experience and that leadership and the kind of person he was to take Mike under his wing. And I think Mike would probably be the first person to tell you that, you know, Mike Evans is probably not standing here as the only player in NFL history to start his career with seven 1000 yard seasons. And he's not putting up double digit touchdowns every year. If he doesn't have those few years with Vincent Jackson to kind of show him how to be a professional, how to go about things in the right way. It was just an incredible mentor for, for Mike in particular to have. And he obviously had that kind of impact on everybody in that locker room. So on the field, he was as advertised in the locker room as a leader. He was the same way. And I think as impressive as those two things are, the fact that he was more impressive in the Tampa Bay community, yeah. um, it says so much about who he is uh, as a person and, and, you know, his foundation, um, he was so, so very, as a military kid himself, he invested himself so deeply into the military community here. There's so many military families here with uh, McDill Air Force Base here uh, in Tampa. And he just, he reached out to them and he, he did so many wonderful things for the military families here in particular um, and just never stopped giving. Um, and it was just so important to him to the point where when he retired in 2016, he stayed here. He owns a, you know, he owned a couple of restaurants here. Um, and stayed invested in this community after he was done playing. And that just speaks to um, how he embraced this Tampa Bay area. And, and again, uh, on every level, as a person, as a player, as a teammate, as a leader, you know, it's just, it's a big loss. It's a big loss in every way for this community and for the Bucks family, for the NFL family. And obviously our, our hearts and our prayers go to his family and to everybody who, who loved Vincent, um, of which I am one, man. It, it's, it's, it's a hard loss. Like you said, too many of them that we've had already. Um, but yeah, man, it's just tough. He was, he was a great person. He was a great player and it's a tough loss. Let's transition to the draft. Obviously this is a, this is a weird year. What is it going to be like for you putting these mock drafts together, uh, trying to put these player evaluations together in such an unconventional way with no NFL combine, uh, with really lack of tape with some of these guys, it has to be a little bit of a challenge for yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, and that challenge is going to be mirrored across the league, I think, as these teams are trying to go through their processes. Because last year, we had a little bit of a difference, right? You know, we we had already had the combine before things, you know, in terms of COVID-19 really started to, to shut down um, and travel and pro days were impacted and private workouts started to be impacted. But you had, you know, a full season of film from the year before at, at worst, right? And you had uh, you had those combine measurements, which, again, you know, we can blow those out of proportion in a certain way, but it also, you know, there's a baseline level of importance to, to those things as well, where you're able to measure particularly small school guys and big school guys to see athletically if they're kind of on the same plane, right? You, you, that's what allows some of those small school guys, obviously there's things like the senior bowl and those all-star games where they can kind of prove it on the field, but it helps to have a baseline comparison for how athletic, how fast, how, how well guys can change direction and jump and those sorts of things. So they are helpful to a point. It's a tool, obviously. It's not the whole uh, the whole package in terms of your evaluation. But when you slowly start to remove, you know, this part of the uh, the evaluation and that part of the evaluation, it does make it much more challenging. So, you know, I think it, it will be a bigger deal 
that these guys, you know, some of these guys don't have as much film, especially some of those smaller school guys who didn't play at all, um, didn't have a season. And, and maybe now they're trying to decide between having a spring season or staying healthy for the draft. And there's some interesting decisions that might happen there, but um, it's going to be a weird one, man. Last year I thought was weird already. Uh, this is, is going to be even more challenging, not just for analysts and, and people in the media, but I think for teams as well, because again, you're not going to have those baseline measurements the same way. Obviously, I think the NFL is going to be very supportive in terms of streamlining the pro day workout process to make those as close to like mini combines as they can, I think. Yeah. Um, but between that and like you said, some of these guys who who won't have had film since 2019, uh, whether you because you opted out or because your conference didn't play. Uh, there's so many ways in which for everybody involved in this process, it's definitely going to be a challenge. And I think that that could impact the results we see on draft weekend in terms of where people are expected to go and where they do and don't. And also the long-term results as to how right or wrong a team was based on a guy, because they just didn't have as much information as they're used to having. I go back to last year, obviously Justin Herbert had to film, right? You know, he was, he was in Oregon for four years, but he checked all of those offseason boxes, right? The, the senior bowl, uh, he dazzled, went to the combine, dazzled, pro day, same thing, interview process. Uh, I think that with guys that may not have the tape that Justin had, and obviously, you know, people were split on Justin before the draft, and we'll get into that. But I think that this is a, a critical part that you may see talent that's first round talent drop to the second or third round just because of these these events I feel like that we're, we're missing out on in this offseason that sometimes pushes a guy up to the second or the first round. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why, you know, probably, you know, it's the senior bowl in a, in a particular way was very important to a lot of those guys because to still have that event at least, especially for those, those small school guys, because we see it every year at the senior bowl. You know, it's not necessarily every year that you get a quarterback like Carson Wentz, obviously, who goes in there and wows to the point where he ends up being the number two overall pick. Um, but every year we feel like we we see a few guys that that go in there and prove, hey, I, I know I, I blocked at Wisconsin Whitewater last year, but I can handle anybody from Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson that you can throw at me. And that's such an important thing to see in real life. Like I said, you can take all the measurements and all the, you know, the data that you want, but can you get the job done? when, when the pads go on is, is really the most important thing. So I completely agree with you, man. I, I think it's going to really, it's going to challenge the the franchises who don't have a, a good system in place for, for evaluating and trusting their philosophy, trusting their process for evaluating things. If you have questions about, about your team's ability to do that, now is going to be the year where those are going to get exposed more than any other year. So let's go back to Justin Herbert, Kenneth Murray. Um, where did you have those guys going into the, the 2020 draft and uh, how surprised were you by specifically Justin's success going in week two, putting up the numbers he did. And, you know, if we're, if we're redrafting today, Mr. Herbert may be number one overall. Yeah. I literally was just having that thought this morning, man. I, I was thinking about how a redraft would look and I think it would be a really hard decision for Cincinnati at number one. Uh, and I think a very easy decision, for Washington at number two, because whoever Cincinnati takes in that redraft, whether it's Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, I think the other one goes to Washington. And, and that's obviously Chase Young was defensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Incredible pass rusher, even at a, a premium position, a, an elite player already in this league. 
But the quarterback position, you know it, man, it's just too important. And I think if Justin Herbert doesn't go number one to Cincinnati in a redraft, he definitely goes number two at worst to Washington because obviously, you know, they still need a quarterback and that's been proven. So I think when I look at, at my evaluations of those guys, I, I, I had Herbert as a top 10 pick. Um, I had uh, Kenneth Murray as a top 20 pick in that draft. Um, so I, I loved the fact that the, the Chargers were bold and went up and got him because I, I loved his, I mean, he had it all, man, the athleticism the physicality, he can run, he can hit, but really just speaking to some of his teammates and understanding the type of leader he was, the type of, the type of person, the type of young man that you were getting in that locker room. It, there's a reason the chargers, I think made that that type of move up the ladder to get a guy like that. And that's because when you identify a special player, especially at that position, you got to have that, that guy that you can build around in the heart of your defense. And he's going to be there for a long time. He, he is absolutely that type of player. And that's kind of what I expected from him. Justin Herbert, man, he's the rare prospect, particularly a quarterback, where he was a better quarterback as a rookie in the NFL than he ever was in college. And that's just such a such an anomaly, right? Why do you that's, think that was? I mean, I, I don't I don't know enough about the the nuts and bolts of what Oregon asked him to do, but if I'm just looking at it straight up, I think the Chargers gave him more freedom. I think the Chargers were more willing to to push him and say, what can you do, as opposed to making him work within the framework of a scheme that was, and we see this at every level of football, man. We, we see, you know, college coaches, pro coaches who are more in love with their playbook than they are with the talent on their team. Yeah. And I think that, again, I'm, I'm not trying to call anybody out at Oregon. I'm just, I'm calling out what I see sometimes in that, you know, players over place, man, you, you have got to understand when you have lightning in a bottle, especially at quarterback, when you have a guy who's six foot six, 230 pounds can run the way he can as an athlete and can make the kind of throws he can. There is no box, no bottle in the world that you should be putting that guy in. You should be pushing every corner of what that player is capable of. And I feel like what we saw last year, whether you want to argue with it or not, the proof is in the results. And I feel like I, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that Justin Herbert exceeded expectations and in doing so proved that when you give him the ability and, and the, you know, if you give him a, a bigger pond to work in, he's going to grow to that size. And I think that's what he did, man. He was a better quarterback, like I said, in his first year in the NFL than he was as, as a seasoned veteran senior quarterback, even winning this, the, the Rose Bowl at, at Oregon. And that's just so rare, especially at that position. It's something too where I, you know, I look at Burrow and, you know, the weapons that he had at LSU, same with Tua. And then you, you place Herbert in a system where you said it. I, I think that they gave him the freedom to be Justin Herbert, uh, but, but Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, although he got hurt. Um, but he was also finding guys that were undrafted free agents, uh, Tyron Johnson and, and Jalen Guyton. So uh, that aspect of it to me was just fascinating to watch how he elevated the play of not only the Pro Bowl guys, but also uh, the guys on the roster that were uh, essentially th those were his guys at training camp because, you know, Tyrod was taking all the first team reps in, right. in camp. So he, he's playing with some of these, you know, uh, third and fourth string wide receivers. And all of a sudden you put them in the lineup and those guys are balling. So it, it was so much fun to watch. And I love what you said, because I think Brandon Staley said the same thing in his introductory press conference about, Hey, we're going to make the system, Justin, whatever Justin is comfortable with. So um, I think that they have a nice foundation to work with, with what uh, coach Lynn and Shane Steichen and Pep Hamilton did in 2020, but I'm excited to see 
this kind of progress into 2021. And a lot of people would argue uh, that in the draft, offensive line going to be a big deal uh, for, for the Chargers, whether that's a first round pick or, you know, I'll talk to you about the depth in this draft, free agency, another possibility. But at number 13 overall, uh, I saw your your two round mock, Christian Darrisaw, Virginia Tech. Um, that's one of many O-line prospects I've seen mocked to the Chargers at, at number 13 overall. Uh, maybe we could start with Christian and then just your overall thoughts on the offensive line class this year, because the, the Chargers, if, if they do go in that direction, it seems like there there could be a few options there at 13. Yeah, I, I think this this class matches up really well with where the Chargers are in the draft order and also the overall depth and their ability to to play with the value and know that in the second round, the third round, they're probably still going to have some pretty quality options, whether that's a tackle or alongside the interior. So at 13, I think that's a great spot for a guy like Darisol, right? I, I think that, you know, maybe even Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, who I, who I have ranked ahead of him, you know, you know, you know how much this is about, you know, team fit and player fit and yep. scheme. And, you know, we saw it last year with the, the offensive tackle class last year, right? We had four offensive tackles at the top of the board that if you rearrange them in any order, it would make sense, right? You, you know, you had four guys that could make a strong case to be the top one off the board. And I think we saw how, how much that was true because the Bucks took the fourth guy off that list, Tristan Wirfs, he ended up being the best one as a rookie. So you can get that type of player if you know your system and you know the guy you want, right? So Darisaw, I think, would be a great fit there. I think he's a, a plug-and-play left tackle from day one. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic. He can do everything that you ask that guy to do uh, in the modern NFL. And again, you know, be able to get a guy like that at 13 because you're going to have three or four quarterbacks in the top 10 pushing all those guys down the board. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see only a tackle or two in the top 10, top 12. Um, and that's what you want to see. And that's, man, getting back to Justin Herbert, when you have that guy, yeah. everything else is easier in so many ways. And one no of those question. things is on draft weekend, you don't have to go get that guy. And everybody who needs one is moving up ahead of you to go get them. And that means all your offensive tackles and your pass rushers and your pass catchers, those guys are all moving down the board and you don't have to worry about a quarterback because you've got your guy. So, and you know, on the other side of the coin, what you mentioned with the depth of this offensive line class, man, it's a great position to be able to say, you know, maybe a special player falls to us at 13. Maybe we really like Jalen Waddle. Maybe we want, uh, a speed wide receiver who can take the top off the defense and, and continue to, to push Justin Herbert and say, Hey, we're going to give you a guy that can, you can't overthrow, right? Let's just, let's just give you some more toys to play with here. You can make that pick because you are confident when your pick comes back around in the second round, you're going to have Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. You're going to have Dylan Radens from North Dakota state. You're going to have Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. You're going to have three, four, five offensive tackles that it, they can't all go in the first round. There's yeah. probably seven or eight guys that could, you know, if, in a vacuum, if you grade them, might have a first round grade, but they can't all go there. <laughs> you know, teams need other positions. Nobody, we're not going to see nine or 10 offensive tackles out of 32 picks. It's not going to happen. So if you're sitting there almost halfway through the second round, one of those guys is going to fall to you. It's going to happen. And if, again, if you have your ha your heart set on a guy, maybe you, you flip a, a day three pick to move up, you know, a couple of picks to get the guy you want. Um, and we've seen, obviously, they made that kind of move last year to, to get back into the first round to get the guy they wanted at a specific position. So it's a great year to have a quarterback already, 
and it's a great year to to need offensive linemen and be be able and willing to let the board come to you because I think there's going to be some great options both in the first and second round depending on how things fall. Chargers have the flexibility to get nine picks, so you, you could flip a pick, move up, or you could just stack picks and, and stack players here. And this is the type of draft where I said, listen, you have nine picks. There's going to be some talent that could potentially fall into those second and third rounds. Um, you did the two round mock. Uh, Ify Melanfamu from uh, from Syracuse, cornerback. Now, if let's just say you flip it for the sake of this conversation, and Caleb right. Barley's there at thirteen, or you know mm-hmm. Patrick Sertan. I don't I don't know if both those guys would be available at number thirteen, but um, it's it's refreshing, I think, from a Chargers perspective to know that the the depth is is strong in the offensive line that would give you that flexibility to potentially get a guy like Waddle or, or to get a top flight corner to pair with Derwin James in this new Brandon Staley defense. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean, man, is that you do not have to get pegged into that position because of the depth. And that's not something you really want to do anyway, right? You never want to say, you know, I have to get an offensive tackle at 13 or, you know, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. That's how you end up reaching for guys. You know, there's, you never draft a, a, a second round grade over a first round grade, right? You, you never want to take a player who you have graded below that level just because you don't need that position. Because obviously injuries, you just never know what's going to happen once they actually start playing. And you never want to pass up quality talent for a guy that you don't think is as good, even if you need that position. And again, that's what free agency is for. You know, the, the philosophy, I think, of most successful franchises is, do everything you can to fill your biggest needs in free agency to give yourself as much flexibility in the draft as possible. So you don't feel like you're, you're, you know, hemmed into those specific positions, even if it's just finding, you know, economic veterans in in the second and third wave of free agency that you could feel comfortable. Hey, this could be an improvement for us at this position. It's not a long-term solution. It's not, you know, a blue chip talent, but we feel comfortable about him. If we have to start him for, for next year, you know, that's a more economical option. And we feel like we don't have to reach for a tackle at 13. If the guy we like's not there, we can take a guy at a different position and still feel comfortable about the value. That's how free agency and the draft have to work together. And that's how you build a, a strong, successful franchise. I think it was announced today. I think the floor of the salary cap is, is 180 million. So, you know, we do these mock draft exercises, but uh, there's going to be some surprise releases here over the next several weeks. And uh, depending on what happens in free agency, your board could change and maybe a little bit. I, I know that, you know, you want to draft the best player available, but like you said, if you can address some of these issues that you have on your football team and free agency, it may give you that flexibility to, to maybe take a swing that you typically wouldn't. Yeah. And that's one of my, I guess, pet peeves is, is the best way to put it. But like when, when you're interacting with, with fans on social media and readers, when they're reading mock drafts and one of my least favorite retorts is, you know, X or Y will never happen that there's no way. So-and-so player is going to go to so-and-so team. We'll see. (laughs) It's February. You can't really say that. I feel pretty confident in saying Trevor Lawrence is not going to be a Buccaneer. That's, you know, 99% confident there. There's a, there are very few of those every year, right? Because we've seen players fall. We've seen teams jump up and make a bold trade. You know, nobody, nobody thought the chiefs were going to trade up for Patrick Mahomes in that draft. They had Alex Smith. They just paid him. They, none of that makes sense. Right. But it happens because we never know. So anytime anybody says there's no way or never, 
I, I caution them because that's those are famous last words, man. You you never know who's going to fall. You never know. You know, ask Laramie Tunsil. You know how things can change so quickly for the wildest reasons, right? No. You never ever know, uh, and you know that's why again mock drafts I think are so fun to me. And you know one of the reasons people will be like, oh, you know this. What's what's the point of a mock draft in December or January? Because it's fun. Because it's fun, it's fun. to talk about what would the Chargers look like with Christian Derisaw and whoever else they get in the second round. What would they? How would they fit? And what would the team look like? If they did this, it's just fun, man. It's fun to talk about how these guys fit, where they could be, what happens if he doesn't get there, what happens if we trade up. It's football. It's a game. We're all here to have a good time. So, you know, I think as long as we don't take ourselves too seriously here, we can have a really good time. Um, And that's that's really what it comes down to for me is talking about all of those chaotic possibilities, all of those different scenarios that that are all very likely as much as they are unlikely, you just never know. And that's why it's fun to kind of talk about them and debate them. It's, it's fun. It also uh, allows you to educate yourself on the prospects a- along the way, because how many iterations are you going to have your mock draft uh, leading up to April, right? There's going to be different guys at different slots. You're going to do your research and, and, and the fan is going to be able to say, okay, cool. I, I know a little bit more about Christian Derisol or Rashawn Slater or uh, Caleb Farley. So don't take it too serious. It's a fun exercise, and you learn along the way. So, Luke, I always love doing this with you, man. I kept you a little long. Uh, what do you have going on over the next couple of months, and, and where can people find your work? Oh, man, it's my pleasure. We've got uh, we're really starting to ramp things up at DraftWire now. We're we're going to be rolling out our uh, scouting reports on as many of the top prospects as we can get through. I've been doing a mock draft a week since September uh, because again, it's just fun to do. Somebody tweeted at me. Um, a couple of months ago and they were like, I was, I was Googling to see last year's January mock drafts to see how stupid they are. And I found one from Luke Easterling where all seven of the top seven picks were exactly right. And there was (laughs) one side of me that was like, nice job, buddy. And then I was like, wait, that means I got worse between January and (laughs) April. I don't know how to feel about this. (laughs) So just pin pin that to the top. I'm just going to, just going to stick. I guess it should have taught me that whatever I did last month, I should have just stuck with and just, you know, (laughs) just kept going. But no, you can find us at draftwire.usatoday.com for all of our draft stuff. I'm at Luke Easterling on Twitter. We're at the draft wire on Twitter. Uh, But man, mock drafts, I'm rolling through my positional rankings. I'm updating all my positional rankings Mm -hmm. right now. I've done all the offense just started on defense. So we've got the edge guys out now. We'll have linebackers, corners, safeties coming out, uh, interior defensive line over the next few days. Um, and just again, you know, rolling through it, getting to know as much as we can about these prospects so we can let the fans know as much as we can about the guys that are going to be playing for their teams and making a big impact. Look how many rookies, Justin Herbert, Tristan Wirfs, I mentioned earlier, Justin Jefferson, so many rookies, guys like James Robinson, guys that aren't even on the radar can make an instant impact at at a moment's notice. So that's why we try to go deep with this stuff, man. We try to find as much as we can and and present that information to, uh, to the fans so they can look back and say, Hey, I know a little something about that guy. I can't recommend Luke's work enough, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to you guys for listening. Be sure to download and subscribe on the chargers podcast network, wherever you listen to podcasts, have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.